Academica Media. Welcome to Teach the Way They Learn, expert insight on educating all students. And now your host, Liliana Salazar. Welcome to all our listeners to Teach the Way They Learn by Academica Media. My name is Liliana Salazar, and I am so happy to be the host of this amazing weekly podcast. The mission of this podcast is to discuss teaching strategies and how they can be the most effective in reaching all groups of students. This podcast will challenge you to put aside tradition and comfort levels and encourage you to embrace different techniques that might be more beneficial for all students. There will be times where it will only be me, and there will be times when I have phenomenal participants to share their experiences in improving academic outcomes for all students. And today is one of those days. I am so honored to have two wonderful colleagues, Tony Morales and Juan Infante, back with me again to continue diving into neuroscience and how applying insights of this field can actually increase academic achievement for all students. Juan Infante is a molecular and cellular biology major at Harvard University. He'll be graduating this upcoming spring. His areas of interest include spinal cord injuries, retinal disorders, and circadian biology. He is an alum of both Doral Academy and Doral College and currently sits on the board of Doral College. Tony Morales is a Somerset alumnus. He is a, he is a director of N2 Growth, a global leadership advisory firm. He teaches at Doral College and Wharton School of the University of Pennsylvania. He is also a Questbridge Scholar. Tony holds a BA in Philosophy, Politics, and Economics, and Anthropology, an AM in Anthropology, and Graduate Credentials in Neuroscience. So as I had said previously, I want to thank both of you, Juan and Tony, for joining us again on Teach the Way They Learn. Thanks for having us back, Lily. Thank you, Lily. It's an honor. So we are coming back to our last podcast on neuroscience, and I'm going to just review the definition of neuroscience. Mm. And this is just one of many, okay? Uh, Nord Nordkiss and Samson from 2018 stated that neuroscientists focus on the brain and its impact on behavior and cognitive functions or how people think. And both of you set it up so wonderfully last at our last podcast on basically what neuroscience is and how we can apply it in teaching and learning concepts. And uh, before we ended our last podcast, I asked both of you for uh, a total of three, but then it came out to six because each of you gave me three takeaways that educators should know from the field of neuroscience and how we can apply it in teaching and learning. And the first thing that we talked about was that, and I think um, uh, Juan, you spoke about this one, that the brain is a very sophisticated machine. Can we dive into that just a little more and how understanding that the brain is a very sophisticated machine can apply to educators and increase uh, teaching and learning? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a, sort of a very broad but very interesting question. I think when I, when I referred to the sophisticated machine, I was really thinking of two different aspects. So the first one is sort of just the purely sort of biological resources that the brain consumes in order to operate as it does on a daily basis. And then the second one really is in understanding uh, the many different things that the brain does at the same time and how we need to keep that in mind when shaping what we do in the classroom. So I'll start by talking maybe about sort of the, the homeostasis of our brain and how much energy it consumes. Excellent, so please. I, I believe our brain only makes up about 2% of our body mass. 
yet it consumes, uh, like I mentioned, 20% of our glucose intake, which is by far the highest consuming organ. And that's because uh, it, really the brain, as Tony mentioned, uh, coordinates absolutely everything in our body. So while our students are trying to learn in the classroom, the brain also needs to make sure that all the other organs are functioning properly. Uh, what that means uh, is that the brain needs to do a lot of prioritizing. And so uh, when you have students that perhaps have not eaten breakfast in your classrooms, uh, the brain is going to have to make some executive decisions about where it's going to allocate its resources. So making sure that our students sort of come into the classroom uh, physiologically prepared to be there, it's, it's very important in order to make sure that they're engaged, that they're uh, participating, and that they're getting the most out of the education as they possibly can. And Juan, I think that's something as educators we forget. Because if we come from homes where we have breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and the people that we live around and the area that we live around, that happens, but yet we drive into a neighborhood or we drive into a school where that is not happening, it's, we can easily, very quickly forget. I remember as a child, you know, there were times that we went, you know, that I went to sleep and we were hungry because my parents were just killing themselves trying to make ends meet. And I remember that the next day when I would get to school, I wasn't all myself, you know, and, and even though we persevered, it's, it's one of those things that my teachers, had they understood what was going on with me, because for some reason or another, I was a, I was a little bit of a, a rambunctious child. I know it's very hard for both of you to even, you know, for both of you to even see that about me and for my listeners who don't know me. But, um, but, you know, again, not having for my teachers not to have understood that certainly made the learning process much more difficult for me. Yeah, I think th th those are great points. And uh, with that being said, uh, something that I wanted to, to touch on was uh, the whole idea of, of closing the achievement gap in education. I think study after study has shown that uh, the differences that we're seeing cannot be explained by differences in ethnicity, differences in race. What we do see, unfortunately, is that there's a huge disparity in terms of socioeconomic status. Correct. And I very much believe that... Uh, some of those factors that you mentioned are a huge reason for that. For sure. And so in order to close the achievement gap, uh, we not only need to continue doing the things that we're doing in the classroom, but we also need to take a much more holistic approach and really making sure that we are helping students sort of develop uh, uh, great habits in all aspects of their life. And regardless, of course, of, of their uh, socioeconomic background. That's, that's, that's just so thoughtful and so insightful. And, and I really do hope that the educators that, that are listening to the podcast really walk away with that because that, that really makes the difference. And from the very beginning, when that student walks in, if we are taking that into consideration, wow, how that's going to shape how we're going to teach during the day, right? It's, it's, it's all going to fall into what, how we're going to create that classroom to ensure that if the brain is going to prioritize on something else, what can we do as educators to make sure that it's going back to prioritize on teaching and on learning, right? Yeah, and I think there's also a lot to be said about uh, per building personal connections with the students. And I think if educators are aware of sort of the student situations outside of the classroom, uh, they're going to be able to, uh, to form much stronger bonds. And that really definitely goes a long way. So I think that um, 
your um, takeaway leads us to this concept of neuroplasticity. Mm. So um, now that we understand about the brain um, or we have a good idea of it, talk to me, Tony, how what Juan has been saying, how we can how that leads over to the brain and its neuroplasticity. Yeah, sure. That's a great question. Uh, So neuroplasticity, which we talked about briefly last time, is this idea that your brain can and does uh, change uh, structurally and functionally uh, as a as a function of uh, environment. That means uh, physical environment. That means uh, social environment. That means a lot of things. Now, building off of what Juan said as far as uh, you know, not being able to dedicate cognitive function to classroom participation if you're hungry in the morning, I think this question of neuroplasticity also informs the experience particularly of low-income students and relative to higher-income students uh, as they experience uh, you know, education. So I'll give you an example. There is a, a, a scientist or researcher. Her name is Allison Mackey. She's brilliant. And in 2015, she published a paper uh, on the neuroanatomical correlates of the income achievement gap. And what she found was that in one sample uh, that she studied in Massachusetts, uh, Juan's home, uh, that, mm-hmm. there was, that, uh, that the, the cortical thickness, so the difference in thickness of the outside of the brain, you can think of it like that, or the cortex really is what it's called, uh, could, account, could have accounted for as much as 44% of the income achievement gap in the sample she was studying. Now, what, what does that mean? That means that differences in the brains of students as a function of socioeconomic status could, uh, could be mediating this relationship where you know, high-income earners do better on tests and low-income earners do worse on tests by as much as 44%. That is staggering. No, that, that, is, that is astounding. I, yeah. mean, that, that is, that, I mean, when you're thinking that it's close to half Right of the, of the student population. Pop- right, yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's staggering, and also it's uh, it's revelatory. You know, the same paper found no meaningful relationship between uh, performance and race or ethnicity, and I love that, right? Because it's not a matter of oh, Latino students, you know, do worse, or Black students. Are, no, no, no. It's not race. Which it's- is what pigeons holes a lot of these. Uh, a lot of these concepts and a lot of these ideas, right? Right. It's like, you know, it's the economy, stupid. Well, right. you know, now it's, well, it's poverty, stupid. Right. And so that's, that's the idea here is that what we're finding is that, yes, there is a historical entanglement in this country between uh, race and socioeconomic status. You know, we know even a few years ago, Pew put out a study saying that uh, the average white family is 13 times wealthier than the average black family, right? That's, that's staggering still today. And that's that's a uh, a wealth difference, not a uh, not an income difference, which is an important distinction. Mm -hmm. But so, you know, it's it's very clear that on racial lines, there are these deeply embedded differences uh, in uh, socioeconomic status. But those I mean, that that part of it, socioeconomic status is really the active agent in performance. And so the the takeaway that I want to, you know, impart into listeners today is that, uh, you know, your, your brain can and does change. It changes as a function of your environment. One big type of environmental experiences you can uh, any human can encounter is their socioeconomic status and what that means for commute to school uh, access to nutritious uh, uh, things to eat mm-hmm. uh, a word gap the amount of words you're literally hearing period in your environment bundle that all up into socioeconomic status and what we're finding is that the way that SES socioeconomic status does change your environment uh, is measurable is influential is something that happens on a neurological level and explains a whole lot of you know what happens in the classroom and how solving poverty can really help to solve performance and it's funny because I had said in the past um, podcast that each of these points, like this is a very deep, deep concept, right? And each of the points that we're going through now, you could literally, again, spend an entire year's worth of podcast really diving into it. So I really do hope that um, 
as when we when we finish this podcast that it 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 almost like sparks that interest to all of the educators that are listening and they really dive into neuroscience and 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 the implications of understanding neuroscience and increasing academic achievement for all students. Um, I want to go to our third point because I think it just leads, you know, a real smoothly into that. And I know that Tony, you, you had talked previously about that. The brain is the organism responsible for all decision making. And we talked a little bit and they're sober to cognitive biases. Mm. Talk to us a little bit more about that. And then I'd like to hear um, both of your thoughts on that. Sure. Yeah. So this is a, a different perspective now. Uh, the idea being that uh, people uh, are very fallible and sometimes we fail very similarly. And the way, and uh, a paradigm for describing those types of failures in decision-making can be called cognitive biases. Uh, so this is uh, a psychological phenomenon where a certain bias could affect uh, a certain decision and, and thus have an outcome that often is a suboptimal outcome. So in the context of education, what does this mean? There's a bazillion biases, and I think they're all great trivia to know. Uh, but I'll, I'll look at one for the sake of this conversation. So there's this idea called fundamental attribution error. And an authoritative definition of it pretty much says, uh, all right, in contrast to how I will interpret my own behavior, I'm going to view the behavior of others as having to do more with their internal characteristics than with their external environment. Okay. So let's, at least as an example, you know, I teach at Doral College, uh, and uh, and if I go up and give a lecture one day and the students aren't taken to it, I'll be like, wow, these, you know, these little, these students, they just, they're not clicking today or something's wrong with them, but not something wrong with me. Right. Now, if I were party to, you know, an, an observer in the audience, the exact same lecture, I might be a lot more critical and be like, oh, the guy's, you know, speaking forever, his slides suck, he's mm-hmm. reading off, of, he's doing whatever he's doing wrong. Uh, and he's not engaging. He's period. not engaging. He's not being a good teacher. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he needs yeah. some tough love from Judy Marty in his life. Right. Right. So if, we all do, but go ahead. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So if, if, if uh, so that error that, that, you know, this cognitive bias is called fundamental attribution error. And it's because of, or it makes a lot of sense on a neurological level because the hardware, if you'll think of it, that we have uh, dedicated to thinking about other is, is different from the hardware we have dedicated to think about self. Okay. Uh, so we have a part of the brain called the temporal parietal junction, mm-hmm. uh, which is uh, really helpful for how we think about ourself relative to the environment. Uh, this is like a spatial uh, sort of function it has. We've got parts of the frontal uh, lobe that are dedicated to ideas of self in a social context relative to others. And long and short of it is to say, you know, we really can't help it. We've really got this part of our brain that separates us from other observations. And so it's a lot easier to look at other and students plus other lecturers when you're an audience member rather than being the, you know, the I, the agent teaching in a classroom. And so being sober to that cognitive bias can be really helpful for teachers to master their craft and for administrators to master their craft and for students to master their craft when, you know, they get some essay critiques that they don't quite agree with, which is to say, you're a lot more likely to uh, be critical of someone else that performs the exact same way that you do than you are of yourself with that fixed performance. And that, you know, that it's, it's interesting because that's almost leads you to have to be very reflective on your teaching practices, right. And on your beliefs. And, um, and that's very hard uh, many times for educators and administrators to do. And it's also very hard because many of our um, educators work in districts you know, that uh, they're being told the way that they need oh, to think. The they're being told. And, and, and I know that I'm just going to go off on a little tangent because I know you guys <laughs> have really strong beliefs on that. Um, but they're being told 
um, you know, how to perceive students, right? And what they, what, you know, and, and they're being trained in a certain way. And of course they're being trained this way. So this is the way that it should be. And there is no, there is no notion or there is no time to stop and reflect and see basically, because what you're saying here, is it me? Is it me? Right. right. And uh, so we're going to talk a little bit more about that, but I'm going to just um, go ahead and um, go to a quick public service announcement. And then um, we're going to come back and talk a little bit more about that thought. And then I think that's going to conclude this podcast. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the literature um, in the field for our, our last podcast on um, on neuroscience. Awesome. Shelter pets are amazing, amazing pets, and the only way to find out how truly amazing they are is to meet one. So visit the shelterpetproject.org today and adopt. Brought to you by Maddie's Fund, the Humane Society of the United States, and the Ad Council. So I'm back with my phenomenal participants here um, and speakers who are just the experts. I mean, I know that they don't think that they're experts, but I, I can assure you that all of our, our listeners are, are, think, are just walking away with so, so many ideas. So I know that today we were going to talk a little bit about the literature in the field, but I want to I, I want to be able to dedicate a lot of time to that. So we're going to go we're going to go back. We're going to go to that in, in our next uh, in our next podcast. So um, going through what we spoke about today, which is the brain is a very sophisticated machine neuroplasticity and um, being sober to cognitive biases um, I'd like both of you just to give me some closing thoughts on um, on those three topics and when I mean closing thoughts is thinking about that topic and then again reiterating how it is important to understand this so that it can it can um, affect teaching or affect teaching and learning in our classrooms so we'll go back to brain is a very sophisticated machine your closing thoughts each of you uh, I think that, again, uh, educators need to have programs in place that ensure that students can look for support when life outside the classroom and outside the school can, can be tough. And so really where they have people that they can look up to, that they can form close relationships with, that they can go to and share these very personal experiences uh, with. Excellent. And uh, neuroplasticity, Tony? I think that uh, folks got to know that your brain can and will change in, uh, as a function of your environment. And, uh, and that means that what you're imparting on students and to yourself uh, really matters and, and is something that can be measured physically, which is really cool to think, right? People think of learning as something abstract and lollygoggy psychological. No, your hardware is changing because of this activity. And, uh, and, and, and that's, uh, that's a tremendous takeaway. It's very powerful and it's going to affect how students perform and everything for the rest of their lives. Great. Yeah, that's 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 really I, I, I love that idea. And last but not least, that uh, being sober to cognitive biases. What should educators take away? Sure. I think a, a good takeaway there is that uh, we are all humans and uh, some of our hardware, again, our, our brains, you know, uh, the, the way that it works uh, have been uh, evolved and adapted really masterfully, you know, over a long time uh, to get us to where we can, you know, wiggle our thumbs and speak at a podcast at the same time. You know, we're just these really tremendous creatures and we also make some uh, some mistakes in, in our decision making. And those mistakes are similar at the group level, at the species level between all of us. Uh, those mistakes have been thoughtfully categorized by neuroscientists and and psychologists and just by reading through a, you know lists or, or literature on cognitive biases uh, folks can make themselves better equipped to uh, be be uh, good decision makers uh, across everything they do that means uh, engaging in education and that means you know living as a human otherwise 
I think this challenge is perhaps one of the toughest ones to address because uh, a lot of the times these biases are not really conscious at all. And so we might not even realize that we have them. That's, that's a phenomenal point, Juan. And, and I think it really takes a conscious effort uh, on a daily basis to not make assumptions about any of our students and to understand that uh, every student's situation uh, may be different. I also think that cultural competency training can go a very long way. Absolutely. In sort of just developing good habits for going through that conscious effort and really making sure that we're uh, leaving those biases outside of the classroom as much as we possibly can. Yeah, taking that step to reflect, because I think so many times as teachers and, and as administrators, we just don't have those moments where we can sit down and reflect. So I want to thank you again, and um, I look forward to speaking to you at next week's podcast where we are going to wrap up this whole topic of neuroscience, and we're going to discuss um, the literature and how it's shaping the field um, in curriculum and in classrooms. And Juan, I know that you're going to be talking about um, the importance of sleep and active learning. And Tony, you're going to be talking about poverty and the brain, anxiety and the family environment. So I encourage all of my listeners to um, tune in next week where we can wrap up our neuroscience conversation with these two brilliant young men. And um, I hope you can I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. Thank you very much, guys. I appreciate it. Thanks, Lily. Thank you so much. The views expressed on the preceding program have been those of the hosts and guests and do not necessarily reflect the views of Academica, its clients, staff, affiliates, or advertisers. 